Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on guys? Welcome to Dime Dropper for another post-game live here in the 2022-23 season. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod for LA sports, especially LA basketball and NBA content and of course LA sports in general and some, I already said that, and also some soccer here and there as well. But let's get right into it. Clippers and Nuggets, and then Lakers and Mavericks on the agenda for this one on this Sunday evening. AB, both games on national television, and they were both really good games. So we got some stuff to talk about. So let's start off right away with the Clippers and the Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets, as everyone knows, and by the way, make sure to subscribe on the YouTube channel, Dime Dropper. Let's get us to 5K. We're starting to get close to 4K. Keep sharing, keep commenting for the algorithms. Make sure you keep telling other basketball fans if you fuck with my content. Also, you know, I tried my best, man. And super chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar, a dime. Any donation helps to make our content look better, feel better, and get better. So let's get to it. Clippers in Denver. We have a, kind of ever since the glorified summer league, as I coined it before it even began, have had a little bit of a psychological edge, uh, edge psychological block against the Denver Nuggets. They've just gotten the better of us, and it's not just psychological. It is basketball-related as well. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray pick-and-roll slash pick-and-pop has absolutely given us the business, and obviously in the bubble, we had no backup center that could get close to containing Jokic. We didn't have a backup center that was over the height of 6'8", and we haven't done very well against them in the regular season since, but last season without Kawhi, you can scrap those games entirely. This season... Got swept now in the season series after this terrible loss. I mean, it would have been the best win of the season. That's why it hurt so badly. Would have been the best win of the season. And after such a heartbreaking defeat the other night against Sacramento, and by the way, if you did not check out the vlog of me at that game, please do, because that is historic content right there. But anyway, we didn't get the job done in either game, and I think overall we're blowing too many close games this season. And that goes, you know, definitely you have to put some blame on the Stars, especially in other games. Not like Kawhi has been perfect closing every game. Tonight and the other and Sacramento, he was awesome. But Paul George has obviously had his fair share of fuck-ups. But there's been games where Kawhi hasn't looked great at the end of him too. He looks like he's lost his legs. These weren't the case. But also, Tyron Lu mainly, I think, has been the most culpable in terms of late game stuff because of his terrible lineup choices this season. It's followed him all season and the saddest part about this game tonight was that this would have been a great win for Ty Lu. It would have just been so good. Because I think he did a lot of really good things well that I'm going to talk about, but he ruined it at the end. 
And it's the same thing over and over. I know I'm going to go, you know, quarter by quarter, like I always do, to really break down the story because I think every single basketball game has a story and beginning and end and whatever, and I think it's beautiful. But Ty, I just can't avoid the topic at, at hand, and that's that Ty Lu played Marcus Morris Senior Citizen because that's what he looks like these days. Instead of Terrence Mann or Nico Batum, not just in crunch time, but in a full overtime period, even though he had nothing in the game to warrant it. It was shocking, even for him. I mean, Ty Lue, yeah, he's had a bad season. Yeah, he's been having his Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris fetishes all year. But in a game where Terrence Mann has been so good, everyone's criticizing him about this. Nico Batum has been good. They've both been clearly better than Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris, I'm almost positive, had only hit two shots. Yeah, he, no, one shot. I think he only had a dunk cutting to the basket in the first half. That was all he had. Maybe one three. I got to check the box score real quick. No, he was 0 for 4 from deep. How in the world is he playing over those guys? Only three rebounds, lower than any other starter. I mean, Nico Batum came off the bench and he had two rebounds, but he also played 12 less minutes. Guarantee you, if you give him even five more minutes, he gets at least one more. I mean, it's just insane. And Marcus Morris sold in overtime badly. I mean, the first start of the apocalypse was... You were down one. I think it was 101 to 100, if I'm not mistaken. Nah, it couldn't have been 101 to 100. Yeah, I think it was one, one. I think it was 111 to 110. That's what it was. And Jamal Murray's coming up the court. And Jamal Murray is somebody who every single Clipper that was part of that 3-1 choke job should have scarred in their memory. Because even though I always say, and all my fans know this, all my subscribers know this. I always say that losing and choking that 3-1 lead was a blessing in disguise because that got Glenn Rivers fired and that was so embarrassing and made the next year that much sweeter. And also, had we broken the second round curse in Orlando, Florida in an empty gym after all the fucking pain and suffering that the fans, the Clipper fans have gone through like myself, that would have been ass as opposed to the first night sold out after the pandemic when Terrence Mann became God on and Reggie Jackson became Kyrie Irving and Paul George was composed and didn't do any stupid shit and got us past the finish line. I mean, that was one of the best moments of my life, not just as a fan, in my life. So I always say that the bubble was a blessing in disguise, but as players, you shouldn't really, you blew a chance at a championship and you should always take some fucking, it should always hurt. And Jamal Murray was a huge reason that happened. So the attention to detail in a close game against Jamal Murray, especially when these guys have kicked your ass three times this season, has to be very high. He's walking into a three. Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Morris are at the top of the key. They need to be communicating here. They're not talking. And Marcus Morris was the most obvious one. I'd blame more than Kawhi because Kawhi saw that Jokic was coming up. Kawhi saw that he had two. Marcus Morris was sunk in at the foul line, looking around, not figuring out, okay, he's here, he's here, he's here. I got to pick up the fucking ball. Jamal Murray's walking into threes. Now we're down four. They're at home. The crowd's going. And when he made that, I just knew that was such a huge momentum play. And then they came back after that. 
I don't remember what happened on our offensive possession, but Michael Porter Jr. got a three in transition, and right after that, it was done. I just didn't, we couldn't recover from there. And then Marcus Morris, to make matters worse, shot a three, not even off the side of the backboard, off the top of the backboard. Then there was another play where he legitimately threw the ball away at half court, and the Nuggets had an alley-oop, went lob city on our ass, and that's when I knew the game was over, and it just felt like a sick joke. It felt like Ty Lue was playing a cruel joke on us because he is, I thought he was so much smarter than that. I've heard that he's close with Senior, but that's crazy, man. There's no statistical evidence. There is no basketball logic that makes sense here because, yeah, he's a good shot maker, but we're not using him for isolation. We're not using him to attack guys and pick and roll and get favorable switches. We want him to knock down open shots. But there's also another part of basketball besides knocking down open shots. It's called every fucking other thing on the game. Rebounding, playing defense, moving without the basketball, communicating on defense. You know, even setting screens, taking a charge. And Senior, he doesn't really do any of these things. And it's okay. I mean, he is who he is. Senior's still done great things for the Clippers in the past. He's just older. He shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be being put in these positions. And Ty, I mean, again, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt to the playoffs. But this is Glenn Rivers-esque. And I'm really disappointed in him. Like, I, 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 you can probably tell I'm not as angry as I am just, it's sad. Terrence Mann doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. He plays too hard. You treat him like a fucking rookie that's come out of Summer League. Infuriating. He made a shot today where he was coming off the baseline, back turned to the basket, turned over his right shoulder, and threw up a right wing three to beat the shot clock buzzer, and he made it like he was an all-star shot maker, you know, makes threes like that for a living. What the f- Like, he, he's shooting the ball with way more confidence these days. It's insane. He cuts. He had a sledgehammer dunk off a cut in the second half. And I tweeted right when he did that on the next commercial break. I said, it's laughable how good he is. And honestly, it's not laughable how good he is because he's just still a very good role player. He's not some star. But because he's treated so poorly, he's also just our guy. He's our man. He's the, the curse breaker. He's the man that, I, you know, everybody always knows I say this. And I, you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but I always said, that it's going to take a Herculean effort, something that no one expects, something unthinkable for us to ever make it out of the second round, to break that curse. And that was it. Terrence Mann, second-year player from Florida State, second-round pick, had 39 points. <laughs> oh, my God. What a night. And by the way, that video is on my channel, one of my favorite videos of all time, if not my favorite. But, yeah, man, there's no excuse for Ty Lue. None. And I'm not even talking about Rocco, who's just become... Just there to watch Marcus Morris Sr. take a couple of jump shots and do cardio while he rides the fucking pine. That shit's ass, bro. And he's so professional about it all. But let's get into the game from the start because we also got to get to the Laker game as well. There's a lot to talk about tonight. Clippers against the Nuggets. Second game of the Russell Westbrook experiment. And goddamn, I'm enjoying that part of it so far. And here's the fun part. I've actually had more fun these last, by the way, I see all the comments. To everybody in the comments, I see them. I'm just trying not to focus on them because I feel like sometimes when I do look at them, I kind of get distracted. So I'm going to read your stuff and, and stuff like that. I see everything. You know, shout out to everybody in there. Danny, Zach, Ace Boogie, everybody. I see you. But 
let's get right in. Let's keep talking about this, right? I'm actually enjoying these last two games, and you might think that's weird, and uh, you know, you're gonna make fun of me because Russ said, "Just have fun, man. Win, lose, or draw, have fun." Everybody clowned him for that, but I'm having fun because one, we're healthy in terms of Kawhi and Paul George. Like, I'd rather lose with Kawhi and Paul George than without. And you might be thinking that doesn't make sense. Here's the thing: we've lost so much and won so much without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but we know what the ceiling is. You're not gonna win a playoff series without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, so. I'm kind of tired of that, you know, the canoes, as they call it, whenever we're shorthanded like that. When we lose with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, we at least see flaws in the, the, that pairing leading the team, and then we can kind of talk about the team and the actual things that are, you know, because that's the team we're going to field in the playoffs, barring any injuries. So you want to correct your mistakes and find out what those mistakes are. That's what the regular season is for playoff teams that are, you know, teams that are basically guaranteed to make the playoffs like us, knock on wood. But, man, these are just brutal regular season defeats, man. But the reason why I say I'm enjoying the Westbrook experience is because I just love the guy. Like, I'm just so happy he's on the team, and I'm happy to root for him in this way and, you know, be so invested in his individual success aligning with my favorite teams. But let's talk about the game. So no Zoo still, and I was really nervous about that going into this because, I mean, we're playing against the best center in the league, and we only have Mason, no Zoo. And it was the classic first quarter start. It felt like we were going to do the exact same thing that we did against them last time we played them a month ago when I exploded on these fools. Actually, I didn't explode. I did locked on Clippers, but I'm more angry. Dime dropper-like. As close as I could get to doing a dime dropper type video on locked on. But I was so fuming after that game, especially because they didn't play the starters in the second half and then rested Paul George and Kawhi. Load managed them against Minnesota the next game. And by the way, the medical staff and the coaching staff are like really going to be to blame if we don't win the championship because in terms of the way they have treated this regular season. Because it's funny, you would think that Paul George and Kawhi's lack of health would just be the killer, but because the Western Conference has been so mid this year until these trades have been made, we still have a chance. The fact that we're even in contention to get home court advantage still with this average-ass record that we have and the way we've played basketball and the lack of any sort of winning streaks we've really had, that shows... How bad, like, not only said the West is bad because it's really good now, but it just shows how mid the West was this year. And we didn't take advantage of it still because of mistakes in terms of the coaching staff, mainly Ty, but also the medical staff just treating Paul George and Kawhi Leonard like grandpas and not taking any risks in any way. It's like, dude. This is, these are NBA players. Like, at some point, you got to take risks. Like, you're, you, if you you got to go if you're 80%. And here's the thing. Once we do lose in the playoffs, or if, I want to say if because I still believe, but if we lose in the playoffs, I don't want to hear shit. I don't want to hear shit about, they saved them for the playoffs. Just to lose? That takes away from the, like, that's not fair to the fans, in, quite frankly. It's really not fair to the fans. But let's talk. First, to start the game, I thought everybody was shit. It was the exact same as the game a couple, like a month and a half ago. Russ turned the ball over twice in the first couple of minutes, and he missed two jumpers. Paul George couldn't hit. Kawhi Leonard was broke, and that caused me to give a good anti-jinx tweet. And I said, Kawhi Leonard, why does he forget how to make shots against Denver? And it's usually because, you know, they had Jeremy Grant in the bubble, did a hell of a job on him, and then Aaron Gordon does a good, pretty good job on him. But the thing about Kawhi is when he's like in the same realm when he's on, like really on, like Kawhi, like uh, Kobe or Mike, where it doesn't matter 
what you do. He's going to hit that contested midi of his no problem. Like, there's one thing for, like, when people talk about best mid-range players of all time, there's one thing when you talk about guys like Chris Paul that come off of screens and hit mid-ranges. Like, a lot of point guards in the past can can do that if they're playing in such a high-pick-and-roll system. Maybe not as well as Chris Paul. There's a lot of great mid-range players in the 80s and prior that just didn't run high ball screen all the time with, you know, spaced-out offense and all that. But hitting the mid-ranges, you know, one-on-one like that with guys draped all over you, that's like the real assassins to me. Like like Norm Nixon, Kawhi. It's funny to mention Norm with those guys, but like if you actually watch the film, like that fool's just draining on fools with, with the hand in his face. Walt Frazier. I mean, a lot of guys like Joe, Jerry West. Holy shit, how can I forget? Yeah, guys like that. Bean, even Carmelo and like Paul Pierce. Like those guys are just bucking. Tracy McGrady, those kind of guys. Kawhi's like... He just gets going, and he was missing those shots to start, so I was like, oh, my God, here we go. But I got to give the boys – and Denver was just playing Denver ball. I mean, Jokic, he attracts two defenders. He can't be guarded when I, one-on-one by anyone really in the league. Only a couple of guys even have a chance. I'd say, like, Bam Adebayo, Anthony Davis, um, maybe Jaron Jackson. I think he would get in foul trouble because Jokic is so crafty with his pump fakes and stuff. I love watching Jokic play, man. And I really I really have so much respect for him. I think there's so much, like, crying about the three MVPs that he's about to win. And I think if you had to pick one to kind of quarrel about, it's last season's. I think Embiid had a really good case. But if he averages a triple-double on the number one seed without another, like, true all-star, I do consider Jamal Murray an all-star in my own definition. And I think he plays like that in the playoffs. But by definition, he hasn't played with an all- There's no all-star on this team. So Jokic, tri- triple-double as a center is ridiculous. I mean, I, and he's the number one seed? You, you can't ask for more than that. Oscar and Russ, neither of them ever got the number one seed in their conference when they averaged a triple-double. So Jokic absolutely should win his MVP. And you know the real... I don't give a fuck about the fact that he's won three MVPs. You you know what really hurts people? Because their favorite player hasn't done that. And they feel like they have or are better than Jokic. Look, Kobe, Shaq, LeBron, MJ, they didn't win three MVPs in a row. Doesn't mean they're not better than Jokic. I mean, should I say it doesn't mean Jokic is better than them. It is what it is. <laughs> and people are just so buttered. I mean, they're so buttered about it because he hasn't done anything in the playoffs yet, they say. He has had his co-stars out. He's had his co-stars out. But anyway. 6 nothing before Ty Lue called a timeout. And Jokic, by the way, he finds everyone. I mean, he he's just such an incredible passer of the basketball. And he also does not complain nearly as much as Luka. So I like Jokic more. And he's also a center, and we've I've been asking for a big man like this to come back in the league and show everybody that the narrative of you can't win with the center as the best player anymore in basketball. Shut the fuck up, you fucking cocksucker. <laughs> Loving threes and tween tween cross. Nah, man. You can't do it with zone defense. Dude, fuck that, dude. Jokic, he dominates on the inside. He hits some threes, but if you look at the way he plays, he dominates on the inside. He plays back-to-basket and draws secondary defenders. He does a lot of other things, but when he wants to score, he gets the ball in the post, and he carves you apart by getting that double team. And the Nuggets were up 13-2. to We were just shitting the bed. Kawhi was ice cold. 
And then when things started to flip was when Russ made a – and it, this is crazy that Russ has the balls to do this. He had just turned the ball over twice and had done nothing good yet. And he throws this risky bounce pass to a cutting Kawhi with like two guys in traffic around him. And Kawhi gets the ball barely and puts it up and scores. And the crazy part is that risk that Russ took on that bounce pass, because if he had gotten three turnovers in a row, oh, my God, social media, Twitter would have gone nuts on his ass. But when Kawhi had that layup, it changed the whole game for him. He started hitting everything after that. He totally started hitting everything after that. And one thing that was really interesting about Ty in this game was that he went with a 10-man rotation. We didn't see that against Sacramento. And I think part of it is like, man, we went to double overtime. So he played Bones Highland. And I actually liked that he played Bones Highland because he gave him a chance to play in Denver. And he got booed. He got booed every time he touched the ball. And he played really solid off the bench. And by the way, shout out to June 28th, July with the super chat. It says, Clippers forced OT against an amazing Nuggets team. Just get ready for next game. I love the positivity and I appreciate you as always, my man. But, ah. Uh, can't let him get off the hook that easy. Bones Highland and Terrence Mann came in to replace PG and Russ, who had done nothing at that point. I wanted Senior to come out with them for Nico Bat uh, Batum. But Senior, obviously, you know, gets to stay in longer than PG and Russ. Instantly, Bones Highland made an impact. Two threes. One of them was a nice sidestep and was able to get to the rim, scored a couple of times, and had 10 points. And I think he was just a nice spark plug because we needed to put the ball in the basket. He had 10 points. He was 4 for 11 from the field, so he wasn't as good in the second half. He made sure he got his shots up there, but he only really took one horrible shot to me, and that was the sidestep three at the end of the third quarter in the corner. That was just a Reggie Jackson-like shot. And don't worry, we're going to get into that in a second. We're seeing Reggie again. It was so weird, and I might add, he does not look nearly as good in a Nuggets jersey as he did in a Clipper jersey. I mean, it just looks weird. But you could tell Reggie really wanted to win tonight. You could really tell he really wanted to win. And it was funny because he made only, I think he only made two shots, but they were like pretty timely shots that were just like, ah, of course he made it. Tough shots. But overall, let's see. He was two for six. Yeah. Minus three, seven points, four assists. He was decent in his role. I mean, two for five from deep. But overall, I was fine with some of the stuff Reggie did. There was one time where he had, this is in the second half, there was one time where he had Mason Plumlee beat up the dribble and he, for no reason, just pulled it back for three. And I was like, yep, classic Reggie. And also, Bones Highland went right at Reggie's chest a couple times. And that was cool, just to be on the other side of Reggie, just getting bodied. And Terrence Mann was on him one-on-one -on -one at one point in the first half, and he was locking his shit up. He almost turned the ball over. So... I like the competitiveness from, from both sides. And, you know, it's all love. Like, I still have a video plan for Reggie that I'm making. Um, and I've been lagging on it, but he deserves it because that's my man. And we got so much content on Reggie in Dime Dropper era. But Reggie did his thing. But the one advantage I thought that we had, and, and this is what got us back in the game, even though we went down in the first uh, quarter by a lot. We were down, like, what, ninth? I want to see. Let me check what the biggest lead of the game was for these guys. Biggest lead of the game was 18. They're up by 18 points, and I thought that we did a great job not rolling over the way we did last time we played them in the altitude. We stayed with it in the bench. That's the big key that makes me more confident if we actually play the Nuggets in the playoffs. I really think there's a chance we can beat this team, which is crazy after getting swept by them in the regular season, but regular season doesn't mean jack shit. The, the fucking, we swept the Grizzlies in 2013 in the regular season, and I was walking into school when we got that matchup with my fucking chest out. Huh, we beat them in the regular season. We got better. Hey, we got Jamal Crawford. 
We got Bledsoe, Money Mo, Will Bryan Cook, though. No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't that year. Uh, Bledsoe, Jay Cross, Lamar, Modem. Um, you know, who else we had? Fucking, I'm, for, I'm blanking on someone off the bench. Oh, Matt Barnes. How could I forget? Mr. All the Smoke himself. Yes, I'll be getting to the Laker game later for the comments, yes. But the regular season don't mean shit. So as long as we're the best version of the playoffs, that's all that matters. But the biggest problem I have when we play them is Jokic might just be better than Kawhi now. Even That, that means the playoffs. If you're really better than someone, I'll play them in the playoffs again. Obviously, we have some excuses, the bubble, the coaching, whatever, for Kawhi last time. But Jokic outplayed him in that series. If we play them again and Jokic outplays him again... And they beat us. Jokic is better than Kawhi. Simple as that. He just is. But I still have faith that Kawhi can outplay him in a series. Call me crazy. I really do. Because Jokic, we need to try to attack him in space more. We tried to do it in this game with the small ball lineup, and it was working. I'm going to get into that in a second. But that's the way you show Jokic's weaknesses. Because you're not attacking Kawhi. You're not. And that's where Kawhi becomes more valuable than some stars, some one-way stars in the playoffs. But Kawhi gets outplayed by Jokic. But that wasn't the reason we lost. At all, in my opinion. I mean, it was you can say it was part of the reason. If you're a Nuggets fan, saying we had the best part on the court is a huge reason we won is valid as fuck. But for us, we easily could have won this game because our depth is so much better than theirs. So much better than theirs. We have the best depth. We have the deepest team in the league. Like, we totally do. Boston is pretty good, too. But we have so much depth. The difference is, Missoula figured he knows who to play right now. At least, at least I think that. <laughs> at least I think that. But, Ty... I mean, we went with a total bench lineup. We didn't stagger Kawhi and Paul George. We went with a total bench lineup of Bones, Norm, EJ, Nico, yeah, and Nico. Bones, Norman, EJ, Terrence, and Nico. That was our five, and they actually did pretty well. I mean, let's see what the, the Nuggets put in. Kanchar, Thomas Bryant, Reggie. And Bruce Brown. So they played a nine-man rotation. So in that nine-man rotation, ours was versus our 10, ours was better. And Norman Powell, Bones, they did a pretty good job getting us back in the game. We were down by 13 after one. And the second quarter, I thought was good. We outscored the Nuggets 36-31. And Busy was a part of that. Norm was a little part of that. Nico was hitting some threes. I, I love Nico, man. He's such a good player. I, he's just the fact that he consistently gets less minutes than Marcus Morris is just insane. Twenty-one minutes for him, thirty-three for senior citizen. Nico, I mean, the guy not only knocks down open shots, he can guard literally one through five. And I mean, we saw him in the second half guard Jokic, and he did a pretty good job. Actually, no, it was that's actually perfect that I mentioned this. It's it was actually in the second quarter. We saw Nico guarding Jokic. We, we could see that Tyloo, he didn't really like. We thought Mason Plumlee was going to be out there on the floor with Jokic at all times, but that wasn't the case. It was he went with the small ball lineup against Jokic, and even though it came with some flaws, like obviously we're getting beat on the offensive glass and we don't have the interior rim protection out there. But Nico was doing a good job of just fronting, and we were just... The reason why he does it is because you can switch the ball screen with Jamal Murray instead of 
playing it straight up and allowing the pick and pop. Because when Murray and Jokic, you don't switch the ball screen, you have your defender in drop coverage, Murray it can just drop it off to Jokic, and if he's anywhere within the three-point line, he can just pick and pop or hit that floater runner he likes, or just make a pass if you bring a help defender to rotate for him. I mean, it's just pick your poison. So switching the pick and roll, it makes them play more one-on-one. Then you can double-team and funnel the ball to kind of who you want. And you start to see a little bit of that in the second quarter, and it had some success. And Nico, as a small ball five, like, he killed it. He absolutely killed it. And then when Russ and Paul came back in the game, you saw them playing more like themselves. And Kawhi also started heating up. So, thankfully, my little anti-jinx tweet worked. He started hitting his midi and hitting his three ball. And it's just funny the way he just knocks down shots, like... Like when he gets one or two, some, when he gets in, one of, in some of those zones, he'll go stretches where he like doesn't miss for like seven straight shots. And it's so funny because he has the flattest shot, but it's so good. Like when he misses, it's almost always short. But that flat shot, I mean, oh my God, it, you just cash. But Paul and Russ started looking more like themselves, the good kind, in the second quarter. Paul had six points. He got to the rim, hit a mid-range, and then Russ... I mean, his defensive activity off the ball was so much better in this game. He had, I think he had five steals. Yeah, he had five steals. And I thought he did a really good job in terms, I mean, he didn't do a great job against Murray, but like, you know, Jamal Murray's really good. Kawhi, when he got switched on to Murray, he did a really good job. I have to give him credit. He did a really good job with Murray. His length was showing, his strength was showing. But Russ off the ball as kind of like a roamer, and I think sometimes he does get lost off the ball at times, but as a roamer, and I think that was by design, he did a good job just getting active, especially when you needed to, you know, when Nico's fronting the post, you need a very accurate entry pass or to run a nice high-low action to get the ball to Jokic and the lob over the top. And Nico's got length, but when you have Russ on the backside and seeing him just elevate in the air. And that's one thing you're seeing with Russ right off the bat. He is so athletic. He is so athletic. He's making such, even at this age, like he's making such a difference to this team in terms of that. He gives us that, that element. And he can get to the rim. And there were a couple times, I mean, there was that beautiful play in the pick and roll where he snaked the screen, went to his left and shot that fadeaway off the glass going to his left. And we've seen him make that in the past, but not. I, I don't recall him making as many with the Lakers. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but he was starting to get a little more confident. Got And there was one time where he just blew right by Jamal Murray, got to the rim, and made his free throws. And I love to see that because I feel as though we don't test Jamal Murray enough on defense in the matchups that we play him because we don't have enough speedy, speedy guys that can just blow by. And Russ made all four of his free throws in this game. Which is great to see. And those two turnovers that he had in the beginning, well, those were all the turnovers he had in the entire game. He ended the half well. And the Clippers went into the half down by 8, 58 to 66. I felt pretty good going into halftime. And in the third quarter, it was a very interesting adjustment that Ty made. He went with Nico starting the third and no Mason. So he wanted to do the small ball lineup. He wanted to have Nico guarding Joker and be able to switch the pick and roll. And he also wanted to have that added spacing for Russ as well. Because he just didn't think that Mason Plumley could guard him one-on-one. And you know what? To be fair, it was kind of right. And obviously, you're not going to switch Mason Plumley onto Jamal Murray. So that third quarter, I thought we were 
really good in terms of doubling Jokic and just kind of funneling the ball to who he wanted. A lot of times it was Bruce Brown. Other times it was Aaron Gordon. And Russell Westbrook, Paul George. I got to give a shout out to Paul George. He held his own against Jokic on multiple possessions in that third quarter. He was awesome. And Nico Batum, when he came back in, was really good as well. Kawhi held his own against Jokic best he could. I mean, Jokic still dominated on the glass. 40-17-10 was his stat line and one turnover. I mean, that's ridiculous. 14 for 21 from the field, 66%. Only shot one three. So that there you go for all you fucking three-point lovers. One three-point attempt. He dominated on the inside like a real big man. 12 for 15 from the line for him, but eight offensive rebounds. That's big. So that's the price you pay for going small. But honestly, there were a lot of pros that came out of it. I mean, Russ was able to get to the rim. You had a, you, It showcased our three-point shooting. Paul George started playing better. Kawhi was just on one. And for a while, it was becoming a really nice duel between Kawhi Leonard and and Jokic and then so in third quarter 31 to 30 in favor of Denver in the fourth this is what I found really interesting when Jokic went to the bench that's when Ty put Mason in to go up against Thomas Bryant and so Mace ran with the second unit with Bones with Norm with EJ and with Terrence because Nico played with the first unit and man, Terrence just continued to be incredible. I mean, he was the first guy that hit a three in the game. He also hit this ridiculous three where he was running the baseline with the ball. And then he popped back out. And the shot clock was winding down to the right wing and turned over his right shoulder and just threw it up there and he hit it. I couldn't believe that. Terrence, man, I mean, what can you say? Oh, I guess one of them wasn't. I guess it didn't go down as a, as a three. He was one for four from deep. Three for seven overall, seven points, three rebounds, three assists in the game. No turnovers, of course. Plus five. He's always in the plus and the plus minus as usual. 25 minutes played. That is eight less than Marcus Morris Sr., who had six points, three rebounds, two assists on three for seven, seven shooting. So that means he was three for three from two, 0 for four from deep, no free throw attempts. In 33 minutes of play. So, I mean, Terrence Mann was looking really good, man, in that in that second half. He had that nice cut for a dunk. But the man that really got us back in the game for me, Mason Plumley. He was unbelievable in the second half. He killed Thomas Bryant. That amazing block he had against him, recovering on the pick and roll. And then he got an and one, was super active on the offensive glass, just making the right plays. I, I, he was just really, really impactful. And he was hustling so hard, dove on the floor to get second possessions. His stat line doesn't show it at all, but seven points for him, 10 rebounds, two blocks, two for two shooting. I'm pretty sure this guy still hasn't missed a field goal for the Clippers. I'm pretty sure he hasn't missed a field goal for the Clippers. But... 32-23, to 23, we actually outscored Denver in that fourth, and Kawhi was just going, Kawhi, like just God mode, getting into this bag, one-on-one, no dribbles, rise up over the top, cash, mid-post, get to his turn around over the left shoulder, cash. I mean, it was unbelievable. And even Paul George, you know, got an and one, was starting to get going, but the mind-boggling decision that scared me 
And by the way, oh, I have to mention this. Russ, yeah, overall, really good third quarter. And he even made a catch-and-shoot three. And oh, my God, I got so hyped when he made that. He only shot two threes, and I'm very fine with him only shooting two if they're wide open. He made one of them. He was 6-for-10 from the field, 4-for-4 four four from the line, 17, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, and 5 steals. But I love what I was seeing from Mason Plumley. Kawhi, everybody. I really thought we had the game, man. I really thought we were gonna have the game, but the decision that I knew we were gonna get that was gonna bite us in the ass. And by the way, there was a goaltend that was uncalled. A, it was so obvious too. Like it couldn't have been more obvious. Eric Gordon went to the rim. He laid it up, and uh, what? I, oh my God! They got a favorable whistle, but that call was. I mean, that's home-centric officiating for you. I always say it. But that call was really infuriating because it was not even a, a question. Eric Gordon clearly got it on the backboard. And I knew it would come back to bite us. And, of course, we go to overtime. Two points that would have made a difference in the game. Yeah, just cost us the game, refs. Just cost us the fucking game. But at the same time, I don't like ever blaming it all on refs because you got to control what you can control. And what you can control is that in what world did Marcus Morris deserve to close that game? And by the way, Mason Plumley switched on to Jamal Murray a couple times on the perimeter and defended him so well. I mean, I have to give him so much credit. He was incredible. We wasted such a good Kawhi game. We wasted a great Russ game. And by the way, Russ didn't play in crunch time. And a lot of people, I mean, obviously his stands want him to play in crunch time, but I don't take them seriously because they're not objective at all. But they do have a point. Everybody has a point if they had wanted Russ to close this game tonight because, I mean, he played really well. He probably earned the right to close, but I understand Ty Lue's angle with that because of his de decision-making at times in the end of games. Not saying that's not true for Paul George, but having two guys out there that do that is tough. And I always say the ball tends to find non-shooters at the end of games. But I will say this about Russ. His rebounding was such a breath of fresh air, too. It is, I should say. It's awesome. I I'm loving having him on my team so far. But we need to do a better job with the decision-making in terms of Ty Lue and his closing lineups. It's been a theme all season in close games. And it's mainly because he doesn't want Terrence Mann or Nico to play at the end. He likes going with Senior. Sometimes he'll have Nico in there, but he'll never have Terrence in there, even though he's proven to be the man for the big occasion over and over and over again. But whatever. He's persistent with his friendship with Marcus, and it's infuriating. I mean, he made one mid-range jumper, and that was it. That was basically it for that stretch. By the way, how about that ending to the game? I mean, Paul George made the two free throws, and then... The double team, Bruce Brown. I love the decision to double team. It was the right decision. Bruce Brown missed the three. And this man, we saw it last night with Embiid. Hit the three-quarters court shot, but both of them were after the buzzer sounded. Ugh. Oh, my God. Imagine if Paul George had won the game on that. He would have been even more of a legendary quiver than he already is. I mean, oh, my God. The only time I've seen something like that actually happen and, and it counted was when Rasheed Wallace in the 07 season, I remember it vividly to this day, they stole the ball. They're playing Denver. They stole the ball, and Rasheed threw it up from three-quarters court and banked it in, and the Pistons won the game in overtime. That was crazy. I couldn't believe that as a kid when I saw it. But when we went to OT, I already explained it. The, the, the momentum changers with Marcus Morris letting Jamal Murray walk into a three, and then I have to say Paul George. You knew there was a bonehead turnover left in him, and it was that terrible pass. It was a good idea to try to lob it to Mason, but it was a terrible pass. 
And he also put Eric Gordon in the game to close. He took Mason out of the game, and that didn't go so well. It's been two straight games where Eric hasn't been very good after he played two really good ones to start, especially the Phoenix one. And so, yeah, when the, when Michael Porter made that three to put them up seven, I knew we had lost it. And then Marcus Morris shot it off the top of the backboard and proceeded to turn the ball over after that. It was an absolute disaster. They took the momentum away, and that was that. I mean, infuriating loss because I really felt like we were there. It would have been the best win of the season. And the, Ty Lue, he gets to the playoffs to, for me to say, you know, but if he continues to make these mistakes in the playoffs, he needs to go because we can't do he just gets another chance because the Western Conference Finals because it's been so many games. so many, it's, it's blatantly obvious stuff. The data doesn't back you up, and neither does the eye test. I mean, there's no argument for Senior. He's a better shot maker, yes. But, like, we don't need that. We need guys that are going to do other things that are going to guard. That's a big problem. We, I mean, we did have a good defensive fourth quarter. But, I mean, we need to continue with that mindset. We need to continue with that. We, we did a lot of that good work without Marcus Morris Sr. in the game. And both teams didn't shoot that well from three this game, by the way. 13 for 39 for Denver, even though they started out hot. 11 for 34 for the Clippers, so only 32% for us. Oh, man, it was tough. The Nuggets had 11 more assists as a team, 35 to 24 in that department. The rebound battle, 50 to 38 in favor of Denver, but you figured that would happen. And by the way, we definitely missed Zoo. We definitely did. You want to have him out there for some minutes. Um, he's more fit for more fit for Jokic than, than Mason is. And you need to you know get a couple of fouls, hard fouls, and just be a little bit of a presence out there. But I can understand the angle with switching the ball screens by going small against Jokic. So you're not conceding something in the pick and roll. You are conceding size technically when you switch, but instead of like an open three or an open floater, I understand the angle that Ty Lue took there. And that's what's sad is Ty Lue could have had his best coach game of the season, but he blew it with Marcus Morris. Totally blew it. So he needs to get that shit together because we don't have that much time left. And I'm afraid our chance of getting a top three seed is dwindling by the fucking second. And if we don't get that top three seed, we're seeing these guys in the second round and sayonara Clippers. We'll also probably be playing a good first round opponent. So, which is inevitable regardless, but... Four seeds don't win chips, unless your name is Bill Russell. So, it ain't gonna happen, in my opinion. In my opinion, I don't have a crystal ball. I hope it does happen, but I don't want. I don't want it to happen. I want us to get a three seed, but I think I don't think we're gonna because this team, Ty Lue, is just being an idiot, and the medical staff is ridiculous. So let's go to the stat lines for this game. Fourteen to four, we got outscored in overtime. For the Nuggets, Reggie, 7 points on 2 for 6 shooting and 2 for 5 from deep. Thomas Bryant played 11 minutes, only had 4 points and 3 rebounds. 2 blocks though, but Mason Plumlee absolutely sunned him in the second half. Vlatko Chanchar had 6 points on 2 for 3 shooting, 1 for 2 from deep, so I guess he did okay. Uh, I, I don't know, I, I'm not looking at things from a Nuggets perspective, like defense and all that. Bruce Brown, good performance as usual. He's a very solid player. 13 points, 7 boards, 2 assists, and a steal on 5 for 10 shooting in 30 minutes of play. Only 1 for 3 from deep. The starters all played 29 or more minutes. Aaron Gordon was questionable for this game before, but he played. He wasn't as good as he's been this season. He was fouled out of the game. 6 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. 3 for 9 from the field and 0 for 5 from 3. So it was nice that he did not have his shot going. And Kawhi Leonard... Finally gave him the business. And then KCP. 
who's been amazing this season. I think he leads the league in three-point percentage. Haven't checked that in a while. He had eight points on two for four shooting and one for two from three, so I'm happy we didn't give him too many open looks. Jamal Murray started out good. I think he still had a good game, but he didn't shoot the ball very well. Eight for 22 from the field, four for 13 from deep, but he had 21-5 and 12 assists and two steals. So that was that's a good night at the office for Jamal, who always gives us problems. Another guy who was fantastic, Michael Porter Jr., 29 and 11 rebounds on 12 for 18 shooting, 66%, and 50 from three, four for eight. So I thought he was big time, made huge shots. And then Jokic, I already said his stat line. So let's move on to the Clippers. I mean, Jokic, he's my pick right now for the third MVP, if anyone's wondering. But let's look at our stat line. 10-man rotation, Eric Gordon. Actually, no, I'm going to start with Bones because he played the least minutes. 15 minutes, I thought he was really good in his role. 10 points. Not going to defend, though. I want to make that clear. I mean, he's, he's going to have bad closeouts. going to get scored on here and there, but he's not out there for that. We know who he is. Not going to play that much in the playoffs, but he was a spark plug. He was plus 8. He had 10 points, 2 assists, 4 for 11 from the field, and 2 for 5 from deep. Love watching him play. Love watching him cook. Norman Powell, this is really weird. Norman Powell, I know he got beaten defensively a lot against Sacramento, but for him to only play 17 minutes, eight less than Eric, eight less than Russ, that's eh, not that crazy. Mainly 16 less than senior is just ridiculous. But it's an attempt for Ty Lue to go defense first, but Marcus Morris out there just defeats the whole purpose of that. Norman Powell had nine points on four for nine shooting. I would have liked to see him play more than 17 minutes. I think he rolls. You know, my biggest problem is he plays senior too long in the first and third quarters. Norman Powell should be getting in for him earlier than that. And that's just weird. Our sixth man of the year is only getting 17 minutes. Four for nine from the field for Norm. He was quiet. I mean, he just didn't play much. And then Eric, yeah, bad game. Defensively, he did okay. He actually had active hands. I like that. He got a steal, got a block. But he had a donut. It was over four and had to travel in overtime. So I think he's due for a good game on Tuesday against Minnesota. And by the way, I'm going to have a meet the player with Eric Gordon after the game. So just the same way I got the video with Norm, with um, Paul George, with Jerry West, same thing's going to be happening with Eric. So that's going to be dope. Ter Nico Batum, another really good game. 12 points, two rebounds, three assists, two steals, but sadly can't get a lick in crunch time. Four for eight from the field, three for seven from deep in 21 minutes. It's just shameful what Ty Lue did. And then Terrence, seven points, three rebounds, three assists, three for seven from the field and one for four from deep, a plus five. Nico Batum was plus 10, by the way, which is the highest of any clipper. And then the starters. Marcus Morris, six points, three rebounds, two assists, and a steal. On 3-for-7 shooting, 0-for-4 from deep in 33 minutes. Mason Plumlee, 7 rebounds. I'm sorry, 7 points, 10 rebounds. And 2 blocks on 2-for-2 two two shooting in 27 minutes. Russell Westbrook, 17 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 5 steals, and 2 turnovers. And 6-for-10 from the field and 1-for-2 from 3. And 4-for-4 four four from the line in 25 minutes. Good start to his Clipper career. And then Kawhi and Paul. Paul ended up shooting efficiently still, but he couldn't make a three. 23 points, four rebounds, four assists, six for 13 from the field. I will say the Clippers did a better job of taking care of the ball. 12 turnovers as opposed to 25 against Sacramento. Three of them, though, 25% of our turnovers were Paul George. And, yeah, you can just do without one of those. But that is who he is, right? Six for 13 for him, 0 for 4 from deep. But my favorite stat with Paul 
11 free throw attempts, and he made all of them. So you love it when Paul George can get to the line, and he's rarely double-digit in free throw attempts, so that's good to see. And then Kawhi was just awesome. Um, I wish he could, you know... I still think Kawhi... We need to win these games, though, that Kawhi plays well. Like, he needs to close them out. I, I know... Like, it's hard to say, you know, he did everything he could. I think, he, personally, I think he did everything he could. But he does still run out of legs. He does. Like, we can't let these overtime games, like, we can't have games go to overtime as much because I don't trust Kawhi's legs. But we need, he needs to close them out. Like, we need to get him the ball. If he's hot, we need to get him the ball every single time. There was a stretch where he was hitting everything and we just kind of went to Paul. We didn't need to go to Paul. 33 points and six boards, two assists. 12 for 19 from the field and 3 for 4 from deep. Amazing shooting game for Kawhi, but 6 for 8 from the line. That's uncharacteristic for him to go 75%. He needs to make one more of those, and that could have been the difference right there. So Kawhi, not exempt of blame either, even though he had a great game. But that's it for this one. Clippers are now 33-30 and 30 and have 19 games left. The six, the 3 seed is slipping away, and if we don't get the 3 seed, I'm going to fucking obliterate this team in a live Let's move on, though. It's, that was I, I've never talked about a game for 50 minutes, one game for 50 minutes, but that was a crazy game. All right, time to talk about the Lakers, though. 73 people still in the live. This is awesome. I had fun watching this game. It was really interesting. So D'Angelo Russell sprained his ankle against the uh, Warriors, so he didn't play in this one. Dennis Schroeder started in place of him, and Josh Green did not start in this game for the Mavs, which I found interesting. It was Justin Holiday instead, and I've watched... Three Dallas Mavericks games with Kyrie Irving. This was the, the first full game I had watched with Luka and Kyrie Irving. And as it was exactly as I, like I expected. Uh, very take-turnsy, similar to LeBron and uh, Kyrie in Cleveland. But in the first quarter, it was just Luka ball. It was as if Kyrie wasn't even out there. It was just all Luka. High pick and roll. And when he started, you know, AD started out in drop coverage. Vanderbilt was guarding Luka. Struder was guarding... Kyrie, and you just, that sounds so much better, doesn't it, if you're a Laker fan? you got a clear guy to guard number one options in Vando, and you have Dennis Schroeder that can take quick guards, harass them a little bit, pick them up 94 feet, do his Dennis Schroeder thing. So it's just perfect. And then you have LeBron and AD as help. I mean, that's exactly what you want this team to look like. But Luka, he's still just a maestro. I mean, he's going to get good shots for people in the pick and roll. And the Lakers started saying, fuck that. We're going to switch one through five. We're going to switch everybody. And AD got hit with two mean Luka stepbacks. That hand in the face, couldn't do anything about it. And Luka played the entire first quarter. And the Mavs were lights out from deep while the Lakers were simultaneously broken from deep. Lakers did not make one three in the first quarter, and the Mavs were in everything. I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr. hit contested threes, two contested threes over uh, Lonnie Walker in the second quarter. And I thought part of the reason why the Lakers were 0 for 9 from deep was Malik Beasley. He was really forcing it. He was. T I know he can make some threes, like some tough shots, some, some tough threes with guys running at him and guys kind of in his face, like closing out. But... There were some threes he took where it's like, there's no reason to take him. Like, you don't need to just throw the ball up there every single time you get it behind the three-point line. Like, just reckless shots, in my opinion. And Jared Vanderbilt got two fouls in that first quarter. And before LeBron, it was interesting, because before LeBron came out of the game in the first stint, he didn't touch the ball, like, more than one time. It was it was all plays being run for AD and BZ, like dribble handoffs at the top. And I love when AD catches the ball on the move around the basket and catching the ball deeper. And it was a much better first quarter from AD. So it was he was aggressive. You'd love to see it if you're a Laker fan. The Lakers went 10 deep, by the way. And there was a brief moment, very brief though, 
in that first quarter when there was no staggering. AD and LeBron were both on the bench. They had Mo Bamba in. They had Rui Hachimura in. They had Troy Brown Jr. in. Lonnie Walker in. And Austin Reeves. And Mo Bamba only played six minutes. Lonnie Walker only played six minutes. I saw nothing from them. They were both, you know, Mo Bamba was minus 10. Lonnie Walker was minus 12. And Lonnie just shot two threes. Decent looks. Didn't make them. Mo Bamba, one shot. Didn't make it. Got three rebounds, though. but And Rui Hachimura barely played, too. He only played 11 minutes and was one for five. So very quiet game for him. And the, the Mavericks, I mean, they just had the better, better of the Lakers in the first quarter. I thought LeBron had a solid first, though, on both ends in terms of when he came back in the game, you know, I think he got to the he got to the rim for a bucket. He missed a couple of layups that was very uncharacteristic of him, where he just you know just doesn't get off the ground the same way he used to, even though he's still insanely athletic. But he had some good moments defensively, getting back, hustling in transition, affecting shots. So, but the Mavs were still up twenty eight to sixteen after one. Yes, the Lakers only scored sixteen points in the first quarter, and in the second quarter they went they continued. I mean, Tim Hardaway, as I said, hit those two contested threes over Lonnie. The Mavs were then up by. 27 points, 48 to 21. Tim Hardaway Jr. was just unconscious. And they were just scorching. They were hitting everything. And the Lakers were 0 for 14 from deep. LeBron took a shot that was very questionable, step back over Christian Wood when, you know, he hadn't hit a three yet. So 0 for 14 from deep. The Lakers, after starting the game 3 for 7, missed their next 24 out of the next 28 shots. It was just ice cold. And Anthony Davis, we've, I've seen this a lot this season. He just, not even just this season, but when he comes back off the bench for his second stint of the game in the first half, he'll be like silent. Like, I don't know if it's because they're playing through LeBron and they start to get him in a rhythm with AD out of the game, but AD just can be silent in that second, in second quarters offensively when he comes back into the game from the bench. And in the second quarter, you saw Kyrie getting the ball a little bit more because they stagger Luka and Kyrie. And in the non-Luka minutes, I mean, there were some plays where Austin Reeves was playing good defense on him, but Kyrie was just doing his wizardry. Got to the, to the paint, fade away over the right shoulder. I mean, just some beautiful shots. Typical Kyrie brilliance. And finally, Malik Beasley in the second quarter made a three. Troy Brown Jr. made a three, and as the second quarter closed, and I think this really helped the Lakers make what was the biggest comeback of any team this season, was they started to get some stops, and the Mavs started to cool down, and that's AD, that's LeBron being on their P's and Q's, but also Vanderbilt, Schroeder doing their thing, and Dennis Schroeder started playing a little bit better, got a couple of buckets in the end of that first half, and the Mavs, after being up by 27, we're only up by 14 going into the third. And when the third quarter started, Anthony Davis was aggressive again, getting the ball not at the top of the key, in the mid post, in the elbow, causing the Lakers to be, uh, causing the Mavericks to double team. And then the Lakers get the ball moving. And now they have a Malik Beasley out there that can shoot the ball at a very high clip from three. So it just, it's a totally different team now. Totally different team. It's a good team. And Anthony Davis, when he's on that type of time that he was today, Oof. It's tough to play against him. It's very tough to play against him when he's being aggressive and not settling. He only took two threes in this game. I don't think he should be taking any, but he only took two. Besides those, 12 for 18 from the field. 12 for 20 overall, but just the twos. He's shooting 66%. Six for nine from the line. Also led the Lakers in free throw attempts. But he was dominant in that third quarter. And the Lakers just turned up the gas 
defensively, and the Mavs started missing open threes, especially Kyrie Irving. And I wasn't looking at this game from a Mavs perspective. So even though Luka and Kyrie each ended with 22 shot attempts, it still felt very Luka ball to me. It really did. But I was looking at it from a Laker fan perspective because we cover the Lakers here. So I was more focusing on the good defense that the Lakers were playing. And the man that has to be shouted out, Jared Vanderbilt. He's the person that I said, the player, that was the biggest addition for them. Even though D'Angelo Russell is a better player, in my opinion, you know, more skilled, more talented player, can run the offense, whatever. The fit of Jared Vanderbilt on this team, what they were lacking, a wing that's going to go out and guard first options, an athlete, that was the best part of the trade. I said that before, the second it happened. Because now you got a guy that's making Luka's life tough. And... I mean, how many steals did that guy got that did that guy get in the third quarter? I mean, interceptions, that one save where he intercepted the ball and then threw it over his head for a wide open fast break layup for the Lakers, I mean, was just insane. And he was also crashing the offensive glass. I mean, his athleticism is just something to marvel at when you watch him play. And he's just a winning player, man. He's a winning player. And there was one play where he ran somebody off the three-point line. He literally got spun around and still recovered enough to contest the shot. I mean, he had some amazing defensive plays. There was one time where Luka, I think this was in the fourth quarter, tried to get a foul, tried to lean in, and Jared stayed so disciplined, stayed up and didn't fight, fall for the fake. I mean, it was incredible. And when he had four straight points, the Mavs called timeout up 72-61. And even after that timeout, he kept going. And that was one of the, the two steals that I talked about. The Lakers went on a 12-0 run, and they had cut it down to five, five before Tim Hardaway Jr. hit a three to kind of restore order. But by the end of the third quarter, Jared Vanderbilt had 13 points and 13 rebounds. I mean, that is insane to have that kind of stat line as a power forward at the end of the third quarter. And even though LeBron was missing some layups, I thought his effort was really solid. His effort was solid. He was getting the ball in good areas. And I like how he's been more, when I've watched him this season at times, more post-up heavy. It makes his life so much easier. And I think he started doing that a lot last year, especially with the turnaround. But this year, even more low post position. And I love that. Because he can always do this. I've been saying this for years. It's part of why I'm so critical of him. He doesn't need to face up so much. He's literally a tank. But you know what it is? The thing about LeBron is, he's when he's past the when he's outside the key, he's never going to turn over the left shoulder ever in terms of jump shots. He's only, if he's going to turn take a turnaround, he only turns over his right. If he turns over his left shoulder, that means he's scorching hot because he needs to do a leg kick and his release is from the top left of his head. So he has to switch his body around. He kicks his leg out to square his shoulders. But over the right, his shoulders are always square to the basket, so it's easy for him. It's a shot now. He's one of his shots he's added the last seven years or so. Um, but when he's deep enough, like he was at times in this game, he can turn over either shoulder. He's right at the rim. And there was one time where he got right. I don't remember who was guarding him, if it was Nilakina or or Josh Green or who it was, but when he got right to that rim, he just turned over that left shoulder and just laid it up, just laid it up. And I thought there was one awkward moment, though, when LeBron fell. I know I know. if anybody ever, ever, if you watch the game, you know what I'm talking about. In the third quarter, he fell and was down for a second. He said, I heard a pop. You can see LeBron say, I heard a pop. 
And that's a little concerning if you're a Laker fan. You'd hope that doesn't mean load management or he misses the next game or something because every game counts. And the way the Lakers are playing, they could beat anybody on a given night. But not without LeBron James. Absolutely not. When LeBron's engaged defensively like this, not saying like he's playing great on-ball defense, but all you need is him to be sharp on rotations and just give effort. And he did that in this game. And even though he was what? 10 for 23, 1 for 6 from deep, didn't shoot his best. He was under 50%, which is not great for LeBron. 1 for 6 from deep is very poor. But two of those were just bad shots. Besides that, though, he just missed some layups. Overall, he was being aggressive. He had really good moments of dominating on the inside. But going into the fourth quarter, he had one cut that was nice. But going into the overall, he didn't move much without the ball. But I liked that he wasn't too ball dominant. That's what I really liked. And Dennis Schroeder, by the way, also had some good moments as well. Some floaters, just sticking to his role, playing hard. Lakers won the third quarter, 31-20. to It was their best quarter of the game, which set us up for a the Mavericks being up by three, going into the fourth. And the fourth quarter was really entertaining. Um, the Lakers took the lead on a beautiful LeBron up and under. Kevin McHale-like. And one thing I got to say about LeBron his footwork, yeah, it might not be Kawhi Leonard level or obviously Kobe Jordan or anything like that, but it has come such a long way since his first tenure in Cleveland, man. I mean, you saw that much better in Miami, but it's more polished now. And that's one of my biggest criticisms of that Sun series is he didn't go to the post like at all, at all. He wanted to dribble at the top when he got a messed up ankle. Like it was just so weird. And people were trying to say, oh, he'd never have a point guard to throw him the ball. Dude, Dennis Schroeder can give him the ball in the mid-post for him to work. Like, that was just a lame excuse to me. It was just LeBron being dumb and overcomplicating his game and wanting to control the offense so bad. But hopefully if the Lakers make the play-in, for your sake, Laker fans, he'll keep going to the post because it's, it's much better, especially at this age for him. It's so much easier. And I know it's tough to work for post position, but I'm telling you right now how strong LeBron is. The defender's working harder than he is when he's fighting for post position like that. And one thing I found interesting was I think Ham played AD and LeBron the entire third quarter and started them for the fourth quarter and then staggered them. I think that's what he did because that's why their minutes were so high. LeBron played 37, AD played 37. So he staggered them in that fourth quarter. And you know what was interesting about that fourth quarter? Austin Reeves versus, uh, what's his name? Josh Green. That was hilarious. They got into a little scuffle. Oh my God, so funny. But um, Austin Reeves, I mean, I feel like he was kind of quiet, but he gave a good little effort. Let me see. Austin Reeves, 27 minutes, yeah. 27 minutes, nine points, three rebounds, three assists, three for six on the field, one for three from deep. So decent game for Reeves. This game was about the starters. Troy Brown, by the way, because I'm not going to read the stat line to the bench guys after the I'm done. Five points, three rebounds, two assists. Two for six on the field, one for four from deep. He did make the first three of the game. They got the lid off the basket in terms of three-point shooting for the Lakers, but he's okay. He's not, he's not some elite defender, but he's decent. He can make some shots here and there. But coming down to the wire, it was very interesting. But the best player in this game was number three in white. He was dominant on both ends, rebounded. The Lakers were just physical. More physical than the Mavs. And Dwight Powell, just average to me. Just average. Got bullied. Christian Wood is an offense-only player. And JaVale McGee just seems like, you know, he hasn't had a good season. He's out of favor right now. And one thing I found interesting at the end of the game is Luka was still treating Kyrie Irving like he was nobody. Like, he was just all Luka going one-on-one, trying to get the favorable switch. 
And it's just like, I thought it was kind of interesting. And I think that Kyrie, you can't just make him a spot-up shooter. Not saying that's what happened, because I needed to watch the game again from a Mavs, perspective, Mavs fan perspective to say that. But it felt for stretches that Kyrie's going too long without initiating. And you need to still make him feel like a star. Didn't feel like he was complaining about it, but I still think internally, you know, you've got to. That's not making him better. But the Mavs overall were bullied. And AD and LeBron were the biggest reason why. LeBron was awesome in the post, man. Getting low post position and dominating. And the Lakers won the game. And I'll tell you the big plays. For me, AD's turnaround over the right shoulder when he had Luka in the post with about 30 seconds left was huge. And he had some big blocks around this stretch too. And I'll say the decision by LeBron to tell Dennis Schroeder to not give him the ball, but to instead give AD the ball in the mid post, that is big time for LeBron. That's the high IQ LeBron James that's got him this reputation. He knew, look, Luca's guarding AD. AD, I, I wonder internally how LeBron feels. I mean, he says to the media that he wants to make this AD's team, like this should be his team now, but he still never really relinquishes that. But he also, AD needs to go out there and take it. And that's one thing I loved about this moment is LeBron gave him a chance and AD went out there and took it. He took it. And he was awesome with that turnaround. And I'm pretty sure the Mavs turned the ball over after that. And Kyrie did get one chance, half-court shot to tie the game, and it did not go. You got to give Dennis Schroeder credit, too. He made two really clutch free throws. And the Lakers got their arguably their best win of the season. The Bucks game was a good one as well. They went at 111 to 108, bouncing back from a 27-point deficit, which is the largest of any NBA team this season, to win it 111 to 108 at the American Airlines Center. Let's read the stat lines for the Dallas Mavericks off the bench. They went with a 10-man rotation. Markeith Morris played in this game. He shot two threes and he made one of them. He had three points, but he only played nine minutes. Frank Nilakina played 12 minutes. He was a plus nine, but I don't remember him doing anything. He had a donut and didn't even shoot. He had one rebound, one assist, and one steal, and one turnover. So, yeah, at least he got on the board. And then, jo- not on the scoreboard, but got on the box score. Josh Green had only 16 minutes, which I find weird because I think he's a really good player after the way he played against us. Nine points for him, three rebounds on three for six shooting and three for five from deep. So that's really good shooting. Christian Wood, 20 minutes played, 14 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, and a block on 6 for 13 shooting and 2 for 5 from deep. I will say it's kind of weird that Powell played more than Christian Wood because I know he's out there for slightly different purposes, but he wasn't really deterring anything, and Christian Wood at least gives you that pick-and-pop threat, and he's just a good offensive player. He was a plus 6. Dwight Powell was a minus 14. Dwight Powell played 27 minutes. Christian Wood played 20. So I wonder if that's a talking point for Mavs fans. And Jason Kidd had some really weird quotes after the game talking about, I just watched the games like you. My boy Nick from Locked On Mavs asked him, and he just said, I'm watching the games like you. I mean, you know, it's in their control. And he's right. I mean, it is a player's sport, but you just acting like you have no say in things and you don't affect anything. It's just it's a lack of accountability there. And Jason Kidd is a, a, one of the best players of all time, one of the best point guards ever. And, you know, he needs, to, he needs to be more accountable there. And it's second-year kid. You know, he was great the first year in Milwaukee. He was great the first year in Dallas. But he's slipping a bit. He's kind of, you know, lost the plot a little bit. But not really. I mean, there's still we'll still see. There's still a playoffs to be played for Dallas. There's still early days. They haven't even played 10 games with Kyrie yet. They just gutted the team in ways. You know, losing Dorian Finney-Smith. Losing Spencer. 
So I wouldn't say gutting the team, but those are two big pieces, especially Dorian Finney-Smith. Tim Hardaway Jr., 17 points, four rebounds, two assists. He was plus eight. He was five for 13 from the field and four for eight from deep. He had a really solid game. Shot the lights out, especially in the first half. And then the starters, Dwight Powell, six points and six rebounds in 27 minutes of play and two for three from the field. AD got the better of him. Reggie Bullock, six points, five boards, two two assists and a steal on two for seven shooting and two for six from deep. So not much there at all. And I don't think Reggie did much defensively either. And then Justin Holiday. I don't know why he started over Green. He got 12 more minutes than him. Sad less points on two for five shooting. All those shots were threes. And then the duo. Kyrie, 21 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. Those sound like good stats, but three turnovers as well. Eight for 22 from the field. And here's the quick, here's the bad one. Two for 10 from deep. So 10 threes and you only made two? Uh-uh. And then Luka. Better than Kyrie, but I thought the Lakers, I mean, they did a good job. He had more turnovers than assists. 26 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 6 turnovers, 10 for 22 from the field, so they got him to shoot under 50%. 4 for 8 from deep, though, and only 4 free throw attempts. So that's huge, and he only made 2 of them. Jared Vanderbilt deserves a lot of credit for that. And as for Jared Vanderbilt, who only played 27 minutes, the lowest of any starter because he was in foul trouble in the first half, 15 points and 17 rebounds, eight of those offensive rebounds. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, what the fuck? 15 and 17? Wow. Malik Beasley didn't have a very good game. Eight points, three rebounds, four assists, Two steals. At least he did some other things, though. Three for 14 from the field. Two for 11 from deep. Some of them are just ridiculous, but Shooter's going to shoot, right? Dennis Schroeder played 35 minutes. I thought he was really good. Plus 17, which was a team high. 16 points, eight assists. Five for 12 from the field. Over four from deep, but he made all six of his free throws, including two to give the Lakers the comfortable three-point lead. And he played good defense, too. And obviously, I think Kyrie not playing well is partially because of Schroeder, too. And then... The big boys, they won him the game. LeBron James, 26 points, 8 rebounds, only 3 assists. As I say, he didn't handle the ball as much. But a steal and a block, one of those, that block was a chase down on Kyrie. Oh, man, you love to see the hustle from LeBron. 10 for 23 from the field, 1 for 6 from deep, 5 for 7 from the line. And Anthony Davis, the man of the hour, the best player on the court on Sunday afternoon. 30 points, 15 rebounds, 4 assists, Four offensive rebounds, one steal, three blocks, a plus 16, 12 for 20 from the field in 37 minutes. The man was just incredible, and we're just going to see if he can continue to do it. He got He has to continue. The sign of an amazing player, a superstar, is consistency, and that's where it is with AD. He's been good this year. He's also been injured. He had a pretty rough game in terms of shooting the ball against the Warriors, but the thing about AD is he still makes an impact defensively every game. So it's hard for him to really have like bad, bad games. But you want him to dominate every game if you're a Laker fan because he can. He can. It's all here. It's all here. But that's it for me. The Mavericks dropped to 32-30, and 30, thankfully losing the game, which keeps the Clippers in the five seed. But Kevin Durant is coming on Wednesday, and I'm nervous. The Lakers are now 29-32 and 32 and got some help from Oklahoma City. And SGA has an abdominal strain, something to watch. Is he out? Are the Thunder going to start tanking? I don't think they're going to start tanking. But it sounds like a real injury. So we'll keep an eye on that. That's a golden opportunity for the Lakers. But I also, you know, you don't want to see SGA get injured. You want to see him try to actually make the playoffs, even though I don't necessarily want them to make it. I want 
them to keep sucking because I don't want them to have anything about them winning the trade or anything. And because I'd rather see the Lakers in the plan. Although it would be funny if they missed it, but for I want to see them like play against a big gun in the first round, like Denver or Memphis, mainly Denver, and one of them gets knocked. But let's see. Um, what was I going to end with? Oh, yeah, I have to mention this. Damian Lillard had 71 points tonight. At halftime of the Clipper game, I was able to catch the end when he got 71. Second time it's happened this year, and obviously I'm not going to shit on the NBA and how you know, no one plays defense and all this. Like, you know, that's overblown to a degree. But yes, it's not the same as it used to be. It's easier to score all that shit. It's inflation era. But 71 points in any era is ridiculous. And Damian Lillard is just showing everybody that he is still that motherfucking guy. He is still that guy. That He is still Dame. And last year was just, he was injured. He was injured. I mean, the rules in the beginning of the season were hurting a lot of guards, including him. But he was also hurt. And he's back to that Damian Lillard that he was right before the injury. He's no different. 71 points is insane. And he's just building his legend over there in Portland. But let's look at the standings. Because they did win the game. And they played Houston, who sucks. They did win the game. Portland is now in 11th. The Lakers are in 12th. So the Lakers are ahead of the Thunder now by half a game. The Pelicans are clinging on for dear life. And Minnesota, not... Minnesota has the same amount of losses as the Lakers. The Lakers have two less wins. So let's see how it goes. It's very close. And the Warriors, I watched their game against the Wolves tonight. Klay Thompson made some big shots at the end of the game. And DiVincenzo was good. And Draymond got like a contusion, like a knee contusion or something. So keep an eye on that. Because Steph Curry and Draymond out, they're clinging on too. But that's it for me tonight, guys. Wow, what a long live. Went like 30 fucking minutes on each game. Now I'm going to talk to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. Thank you so much if you listened to an hour of me talk on your podcast. But I, I'm guessing if you're here, you're probably here for either Lakers or Clippers. If you listen to both, I appreciate you even more. Tap into the YouTube if you're not tapped in. Thank you so much for listening. Peace.